I call your attention today to Paul's words in Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here is the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans. The Roman church got its start at a very early period. It was not founded by St. Peter who had gone east instead of west. It was not founded by anyone that we know historically. But Rome was the center of the known world. All roads led to Rome. And surely the gospel had been brought to Rome by Jewish believers at a very early point. There was a very large and prosperous Jewish community in Rome. And there had been for generations. So there is every reasonable uh, probability that the gospel was brought first to the Jews of Rome and then to others as well. When Paul finally got to Rome at a much later point, he discovered that the gospel had penetrated all of society, including the very palace and household of the emperor, the Caesar of Rome. So he was quite pleased with their faith and with their progress in the gospel, but he himself, for a very long time, had his sights set on getting to Rome. He says, I am a debtor. I feel a deep obligation to preach the gospel everywhere I go, and I want to come and preach it in Rome as well. But then he says, you know, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why would he be ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Well, the Apostle Paul had been to Athens, as you know, if you read Acts 17, and there he delivered a very fine address. We call it the Mars Hill Sermon. Standing on Mars Hill, or the Areopagus, as it's called in Greek, the Apostle Paul preaches one of the most powerful and eloquent sermons of his life, telling them of the God who made the worlds. That was a shock to the Athenians. They didn't think any God had made the world. The world had always existed in their theory. But here comes a man saying, speaking of the God, the unknown God who has made the worlds, the God who is also for a long time being patient with the failings and the sinfulness and the wickedness of humanity. The times of your ignorance, Paul says, God winked at. God turned a blind eye for a time. If haply you might seek after him. But of course they didn't. They hadn't done. They had to end up erecting this altar to the unknown God simply because they had no idea really of who God was. They were sensed, they knew in their hearts, they knew by intuition 
that something was missing out of their whole system of religion. So here's the altar to the unknown God. This unknown God made the world, says Paul. This unknown God has now commanded all men everywhere to repent because, says Paul, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world by that man whom he has appointed and by that man whom he has raised from the dead. Well, when the Apostle Paul preached this great sermon to the Athenians, they couldn't make sense of any of it. It was total nonsense to them. They ridiculed Paul. They decided he was preaching two new gods, Jesus and Anastasis, or resurrection, because that's all they could remember. He did mention Jesus, and he mentioned this Anastasis. What is that about? They had no idea, these great minds of Athens. Well, what could he have expected at Rome? But a similar reception, at least on the part of the reprobate, those whose minds, those whose foolish hearts, as he says, have been darkened. Nonetheless, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to stop preaching the same gospel that I preached at Athens. I want to preach it at Rome. Why? Why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? He says, because it is the power of God unto salvation. By that intending that it is the great instrument by which God exercises his power to save. The power of God unto salvation. Well, we want to look at this text because we want to know what the gospel is. The one thing you can, should uh, require of any man who fills this pulpit is that he preach the gospel. Not a gospel, but the gospel. The gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many times does Paul use that word gospel in these first 17 verses of his epistle? No less than five times. That's only to be exceeded by the word faith, which he uses no less than seven times. These are obviously the things that are most important to him as he sits down to craft his epistle. He wants to make sure that they are established in the true gospel, that they know what the gospel is, so that they can test their own preachers and examine what they are hearing and say, now, is this the gospel or not? So let us look at this word gospel first of all. Euangelion in Greek, it means an announcement. Something has happened. Something has changed in the course of human events. Something of great significance, not just to some, but to all people everywhere. Something has happened. It should make headlines in the newspapers. It should be broadcast over the radio. It should be discussed in social media. Something has happened. Something that God has done. 
not man. God has sent his own son into the world in fulfillment of promises that he made long ago to the fathers. And his son has accomplished a great redemption for all the people of God. Now that is why, for example, the Apostles' Creed is not a philosophical statement. Ever noticed that about the Creed? It doesn't give you a lot of religious theories or ideas. It doesn't propose some great solution to all the problems of the human race. It doesn't tell you anything about how you can lead a more successful life or be a better person or do any of the other things that we associate with gospel preaching today. It is a listing of great things that God has done in Jesus Christ. The God who made the worlds. I believe in Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. Now those words are so familiar to us but they were a slap in the face to all the philosophies of the ancient world. This assertion that the world does not have any life in itself, any power uh, to sustain itself. It is not simply a great machine that has been left to tick away across the centuries. Rather, it is the handiwork of a mighty God. We are his creatures, therefore we owe everything to him. And then it goes on to speak about the Son who was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and so on and so forth. All these great facts, not theories. This is news. These things happen. And these are the facts that have changed everything for the human race. Whereas once we were languishing under the wrath of God, now there is life and hope for all who believe in this one who came into the world for us and for our salvation. So the gospel is first and foremost the announcement, the declaration, the reporting of what God has done in Christ. And that's where it always ought to begin and that's where it always ought to end. Not with the problems of human life, not with the potential that there is for change, but with, first of all, this great declaration that God has thrust his hand into the course of this world's events and God has made all the difference by sending his son Jesus Christ into the world. Those great facts of the creed are the very foundation of our faith and our hope and expectation. If none of them is true, if any of them is false, then Anything else we have to say is more or less just our opinion. We would be left with nothing to say to the world. 
we would have to just simply compete with all the other ideas and philosophies and theories that circulate among fallen mankind. But standing on this solid foundation of fact, we can begin to demand the attention of the world and we can in the name of our God and of our Savior Jesus Christ command all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. So the gospel is the good news of what God has done in Christ. And Paul is eager to announce all of that to the Romans, knowing that this is just the very news that God will use to make a difference, not in the lives of all who hear, but in the lives of all who hear and believe. It is the power of God, he says, unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Everyone that believeth. Now that is as absolute a statement as can be made. Paul is not interested necessarily in who you are or what your background is or who your parents were, what your problems are, whatever it is. The Apostle Paul wouldn't have to know anything about us to come here and to preach the gospel as he wanted to do at Rome because he knew that he had news that would be of significance to everyone in the church. Everyone, everywhere that he went. Here was a message for one and for all. You see, the gospel is preached. <laughs> Excuse me. The gospel is preached promiscuously. That was the choice made by the Dort Fathers to describe how the gospel is to be preached. Now it's come to mean something different in our society. A girl who is very easy, very free with her uh, affections, who is happy to go with this man one day, another man the next, and uh, who has very low standards indeed, is said to be promiscuous. Is that what the Dort Fathers had in mind? Well, let me shock you. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We have to be very free with the gospel. We are to give it to this one and to that one. We are to offer it to one and to all. We are to raise no bar no hindrance, no obstacle to anyone coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and freely embracing him as their Savior and Lord. How different it has been in many places. In churches which insisted that, well, you better straighten out your life first. You have to become a respectable member of society and then we'll consider your application for membership. Many churches in this country were long time run as a country club. 
They regarded it themselves as some kind of social elite and your application for membership was an application to join the club and you had to measure up. And other churches have specialized in dealing with all the barriers, all the obstacles, all everything that stands between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. Until you're left in a hopeless condition and you say, I can't, I can't get there. It's as if a, a flood had washed away the bridge and I was standing here on one side of the river and I could see him over there and there was no way for me to cross over and he wasn't about to lower himself to come over to me. Yes, that's how the gospel has been preached. That's how people have been made to feel that there is no point, no hope for them. They're waiting for something to happen, some miracle that will make it possible for them to cross that river and get to the Lord Jesus on the other side. But that is so, that's the very opposite of the gospel Paul is preaching. The gospel that Paul preaches is that God has sent his son into the world. He's already crossed the river. He's standing on your side. He is with you. He is among you. He is as near to you as the person beside you in the pew. And he is freely offering himself to you today and now. And there is nothing that really stands in the way except your own unbelief. The gospel is to be preached promiscuously, freely, openly to one and to all. And the church has no business trying to sift out who's qualified to be a Christian and who's not, who is entitled to be regarded as a believer and who may not. That comes later. That comes later. That comes later in the Christian life as you've been taught and trained and you begin to know what God requires of you. And if you are deficient, as the, the form says, in doctrine or life, we do have the right to confront you and to call you to, to repentance and to restore you to a right way of walking with God. But that's all later. In terms of the doors of the church, they are flung open wide. In terms of the gospel, it is freely offered unto all. This great salvation which God himself and only God can accomplish. So we have the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. But what's in this gospel that God uses so very powerfully? That is a vital question indeed. What is in the gospel that makes it such a great instrument in the hand of God for the saving of sinners who believe? We come to verse 17. Therein, he says, is the righteousness of God revealed. 
the righteousness of God revealed. Now, first of all, this is not a statement about God. It is not about his essential attribute of righteousness. That God is righteous, just, and holy. And that he will bring every man into judgment. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, we've known that all along. We've known that all along. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and his Godhead, his divinity. So they are without excuse. We've known all along that there is a God who made the world, Paul says. Everyone really knows this. They may deny it. They may pretend that they don't know about this. But God has showed it to them so plainly and so clearly, they are without excuse. They know that there is a God who made the world. And if he made the world, his power must be great. And they know something else because God has stamped it upon their own hearts and minds. He is just. He is righteous. He is holy. And he will bring every man into judgment. That much, says Paul, we've known all along. We didn't need the gospel. If that's all the gospel is, an announcement of the righteousness of God, then the gospel is superfluous. It is unnecessary. It is not newsworthy. Something we've known from the beginning, from the creation of the world. Something that has been clearly seen. Something that has been shown to us long since. That's no gospel at all. Oh, but if this is the righteousness which God gives to everyone who believes, if this is a righteousness which God has provided as a basis for reconciliation with the sinner, if this is the free gift of God to his people, now that is newsworthy. That is something worth announcing. That the righteousness of God has been revealed. A righteousness which Paul says is by faith and unto faith. <coughs> now this is indeed good news. Because this is the essential problem you see. This is the bridge that had been washed away at the fall. God was there and we are here. And he will not come to us on our terms. We must go to him. But there is no bridge. It's gone. And between him and ourselves there is just this great gulf fixed which we cannot cross. The gospel announcement is that God has furnished what was missing. He has provided what was lacking. He has done what we could not do. He has provided his own son as the very righteousness of God in human form. The embodiment of the righteousness of God. That's how we should think about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
as I said when we read the law, you see. That's the whole point. It brings us face to face with who Christ really is, what kind of a man he was, how he lived on this earth, and what he is today, even in glory. This obedient servant of God who did all that he was commanded to do. And more, this servant who laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice to take away all our guilt and to quench the fury of the wrath of God. This is righteousness in every dimension. This is a complete bridge that closes the gap between ourselves and God. This is what makes it possible for God to come to us and for us to come to God. The righteousness of Christ. And that is what you must take hold of by faith. That is what you must believe. That Christ has paid the price Christ has secured your pardon, and more than that, Christ has lived a life pleasing to God in every way. And if you are in Christ, all this is yours. Now, not someday, in the future after we've got you shaped up and trained up and taught up and brought along, Maybe someday you can have this, but not now, of course, not, not as you are. Oh no, you see, there's good news again. Here's an announcement. Contrary to appearances, contrary <coughs> to the wrong thinking of many people, all this can be yours now and today. Not as a mere hope or even a well-grounded hope, but as a portion, as a possession, as a heritage from which you will never again be separated. The righteousness of God revealed in and through the work, the life, the labors, the sufferings, the death, the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. But we come now to the, to the practical point. How indeed do we take hold of this righteousness? And if we have taken hold of it, how do we retain it? How do we keep in God's good graces? What do we have to do in order to deserve it? Well, the answer to all those questions is there's nothing to be done. There's nothing to be done. You must indeed simply rest in Christ. Come to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. This righteousness of God revealed in the gospel is from faith, says Paul, and to faith. That's a very simple phrase in English. It's just as simple in the Greek. And many have puzzled over its meaning. Some suppose 
that this righteousness of God is revealed when a believing pastor speaks to believing people. Well, that makes a degree of sense. But it doesn't serve Paul's purposes in this epistle because Paul's going to argue out his whole case for justification by faith alone, apart from works of the law. Chapter after chapter will be devoted to that one great theme. What does Paul have in mind when he says, from faith to faith? Well, from faith speaks of the beginnings of the Christian life. Where do we start with God? Where do we start with God? We start by trusting in his word, trusting his son, trusting especially these great promises that are made to us in his name. That's where the Christian life begins. But having begun that way, Do we then have to somehow work hard at it to be good Christians and do the right things and keep all the rules and No, dear friends. The Christian life begins with faith and it continues in faith. It continues as a life of faith, trusting in God's word, following where he leads confiding in his promises and as he gives us the ability doing his will. We did not get ourselves into Christ. We cannot keep ourselves in Christ. And I dare say this to you. If you are in Christ today, you cannot take yourself out of Christ even if you wanted to try. The Lord Jesus Christ said that he held his sheep in his hand. No man can take them from me. And that no man would include you yourself, can't take yourself out of his hand. And it's not only, he says, are my sheep in my hand, they are in my Father's hand as well. (laughs) So what are you going to do? Are you going to break the grip of the hand of Christ? Well, there's the hand of God the Father reinforcing it. You've taken on a real tall task if you think you can overthrow the will of Christ, the will of God, the power of Christ, the power of God. No, dear friends, we do not keep ourselves as Christians by our own good works or efforts. The Christian life is from faith and unto faith. It begins with faith, it continues with faith, and at the end of the journey in this life, what do we have as our only comfort in life and in death? What do we have with which to face death, with which to face eternity? We have only the promises of God. So to the very end, it will be required of you only to trust in God and his word, to trust in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and in the work that he has done for you. To trust that you are righteous before God with a righteousness that is not your own, but has been freely given to you by God. That is what the gospel is. And that is how the gospel comes home to our hearts. When we reach out to what has been set before us and embrace it the way a little child runs to a parent and we say, this is now mine. This is now mine. Others will say, what makes you think you're entitled to do that? Give an account of yourself. Well, doesn't hurt to be challenged like that. But you have the answer right before you. God, in the gospel of his Son, has said all this before me and said it's there for the taking. And I have dared to trust God and to take him at his word. And I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed for having done so. Do not be ashamed of trusting in Christ. Do not be ashamed of resting all your hopes upon him alone for salvation. Do not be ashamed of this great gospel wherein the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. This is for you. This is for all. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, we give thee heartfelt thanks indeed that into this dark world where sin abounds and where death reigns and rules and where life is nothing but toil, trouble, misery, and sorrow and loss, we are thankful for the good news that in thy mercy and grace thou hast not suffered it to be always so, but sent thine own Son into the world on a great mission of redemption, salvation for the people of God. And we ask, O Lord, for nothing so much today as faith to trust in thee, to trust in thy word of truth and power, and to live in the strength and light of it, and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ now, and to go on believing until the very end of life on this earth, when faith will give way to sight, and hope will give way to knowledge and experience. So be with us today, Lord. Speak to us. Confirm us in the way of Christ. Open our hearts more and more to the truth of thy word. Comfort us in him. We ask in his name. Amen.